Do you ever wonder if you're saved or what saved even means or what God is like or what Jesus did? Some people are embarrassed to ask these really basic questions, but please don't be. They're the most important questions you could ever ask. And that's why I want to give you a brand new copy of this little book I wrote called The Basics. Uh, you can get your paper copy or your digital copy or your audio copy or your video version just by going to timeofgrace.org slash the basics. You may or may not know this, but pastors and priests are people just like you. I know there's this idea out there that they are indestructible. They, they can deal with anything and everything, but the reality is they're flesh and blood just like you. They have emotions. They sometimes deal with anxiety and depression. In fact, if you're thinking about how you might be able to support your spiritual leaders, uh, here's some insight. Uh, oftentimes after a massive win, after a success, uh, your spiritual leader might feel really low. Uh, and wins like having a great Christmas or Easter celebration, or maybe they've just completed a, a building project, or maybe they just got done helping a couple through very intense marriage counseling. Uh, all those things are amazing, but they take a lot of brain power, a lot of heart, a lot of emotion, and your spiritual leader can end up feeling really, really empty at the end of that. And you might wonder, why is that? If these people are so close to God, if they're studying God's word all the time, why is it that after a great success, they can feel depressed? And I guess I would I'd put that back on you and, and maybe ask you, why do you feel the same way? How often is it that you're participating in an event, uh, you're at work and you're working on a project, you're putting your heart and soul into that, you get to the pinnacle of it, you're all done, and then all of a sudden, ugh, you just feel this emptiness. And then to refill that void, you go and start another project and, and, and you start working and, and, and you, you, you feel that high again, and then all of a sudden, you feel that low, that you feel depressed after a success. Now, what I'm going to assume about you is, is that you go into whatever you do, whether it's an assignment or a project with the purest of motives, that you're doing it because you want to give glory to God. I feel like that's why I do what I do. But oftentimes, some, somewhere in the middle of the road, what happens is that um, it, it is for God, but then it isn't. All of a sudden, it's, it's for me and my glory. And then I start to wonder what people are going to think about me and say about me and, and then all this pressure that I feel. And then I wonder, well, if, if I'm successful then, or this is my thought, if I'm successful in this project, then does that give me validity as a human being? Does that mean that I'm successful? And then what happens if I'm not successful? Does that mean that I'm not a success? Does any of this resonate with you? I assume it does because what I'm proposing to you right now is, is, is just a universal problem. So many of us feel this letdown after a great accomplishment that we have. And in reality, it's normal. In fact, I'm going to share with you a story about a guy named Elijah. He was a prophet. We find his story written for us in 1 Kings. And he, he was a, a stalwart of the Bible, a man of great faith uh, who lived during a very difficult time in, in Israel's history. In fact, what was happening was the king uh, was promoting the worship of false gods like Baal and Asherah, telling the people to go away from the Lord and to lift up these false religions. He also put a hit out on all the prophets of the Lord, which obviously didn't bode well for Elijah. So this is a, a very stressful time, yet he digs into this. He is excited about sharing the word of God, getting people to repent, and, and he's in this for three and a half years. Well, we find out in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 18, where he has this opportunity to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the prophets of Baal. 
and he comes up with this contest. He says, it's me versus you, and there's 450 of them, and it's my God versus your God, and let's, let's determine right now who the true God is. And they're all for it, and he says, this is what you do. You build an altar, I'll build an altar. You put a bowl on yours, I'll put a bowl on mine. But here's the thing. You can't light the fire on your own. You can't use a match, you can't use a Zippo lighter, nothing. All you have to do is pray. And the God who responds by sending fire out of heaven, that's the true God. And the prophets of Baal were, were very excited. They were very confident that they were going to win and said, let's go for it. So from morning until noon, they're dancing, they're praying, they're slashing themselves. From noon until three, they're doing the same thing. And nothing, nothing happens. So now it's Elijah's turn. So he steps up and he has his servants get these jars of water and start dumping it over the altar, which doesn't make a lot of sense if you wanted to set on fire. But what he's proving, he's like, I'm not using any parlor tricks. I, I don't have a match in my back pocket. No, this is all God. So he steps up and he prays a simple prayer. God, reveal yourself today. He didn't even ask God to send fire out of heaven. But that's exactly what God did. He sent like a lightning bolt out of heaven, lit that thing up like it was a 4th of July celebration. And, and all of a sudden, the people started looking at each other and chanting, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. It was this massive, massive success. All these people were, were repenting, turning back to God, but not all of them. In fact, the king and his queen, after hearing about this, after seeing this, they dug in their heels and they promised Elijah by that same time tomorrow, he would be a dead man. And so Elijah just prayed for a miracle. He experienced a miracle. You think in that moment he would turn right back to God, but he didn't. He felt depressed after this great success. He, he felt alone and, and he ran away. He isolated himself. He hid in, in these lonely caves. He stopped eating. He, he, he felt like God had abandoned him. And, and he got to the point where he was like, God, I just want to die. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like God has abandoned you? Like everything you've been working for is, is worthless, it's meaningless, and, and you just feel that super low. Well, what do you do in a moment like that? What you need to do, first and foremost, is just remember that God has not left you. God is still with you right now. Just like God was with Elijah. Elijah needed food and God fed him. Elijah needed rest and God allowed him to sleep. Elijah needed a, a warm, tender touch and God touched him. You know what? When we go through those lows, sometimes we don't want to turn back to God. We don't think he'll give us any of those things. We, we just feel like he's going to rebuke us, yell at us, give us a tongue lashing because we didn't keep him as the number one priority because we stopped focusing on him and his glory. But I'm here right now to tell you that that's not true. And that's not how God approached Elijah. So in, in first case, chapter 19, God approaches him. And in verse 11, it says this, the Lord said, go out, and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mountain of the cave, at the mouth of the cave. So was the Lord in the wind? Was he in that, that earthquake? Was he in the blazing fire? You'd assume he would be. Elijah would have, uh, have assumed that, but he wasn't. God was in that gentle whisper. And in that whisper, he reminded Elijah, I'm with you. 
I love you. You're not alone. Your work was not in vain and you're not the only one out there. I have all these other believers. It's going to be okay. When you feel in that moment that you've hit rock bottom and, 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 and God's not there, know this, God is there. In those moments where you feel like you're, you're Elijah and you had that great success, but now you feel depressed, know that God's not gonna come to you and blow down your, your, your neck with, with these harmful words. He's not gonna shake you with an earthquake. He's not gonna breathe fireballs at you. He's gonna come to you with that gentle whisper and remind you that he loves you. He's with you and you're not alone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for all the amazing things that you do for us, uh, the abilities and the gifts we have. And we ask that you forgive us for all the times that we forget that this is for your glory and our successes in life, they're all yours. But oftentimes, God, we are in that spot just like Elijah was. We, we forget that. And thank you for coming to us right now in that gentle whisper to remind us that we are loved and that we are yours. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Years ago, when I was a young pastor in the inner city of Detroit, I was sitting in my office, it was early morning, and all of a sudden this huge man walks in and he's got tattoos all over his face. And I don't like to judge people by their appearances, but because we were in a not so good neighborhood, I was definitely afraid. But very quickly, he uh, made me feel comfortable just in the fact that he started to share why he was there. Uh, he had done something that was pretty horrible and he felt like it was about to destroy his marriage. And what happened was the night before he was watching the religious channel and one of the preachers came on and said, if you ask God for forgiveness, he'll give it to you. Well, in that moment, he's like, that's what I need. So he got in his car, he started driving around and we were the only church open that morning. So he tells me what he did. And right then and there, I got to tell him what Jesus did for him, that Jesus had taken his sin and nailed it to the cross. And that big guy with those tattoos just wept massive tears of joy. And it was beautiful to see that was his, that was the beginning of his relationship with Jesus Christ. And I got to walk alongside of him and, and see him mature in that relationship. And what was amazing is that uh, he was a rough guy. Uh, he, he used to use a lot of choice language and he started to curb that and realize, no, this isn't the best way I can glorify God. Uh, he used to go to parties and get drunk and break the law and, and, and all that started to stop. And uh, he, he continued to hang out with his biker buddies. He was in this biker club and and they noticed there was this massive change in him. And, and he would tell them, he's like, no, it's Jesus. He gave me peace and you can have it too. And, and at first they were, they were kind and they would listen, but after a while, they didn't necessarily appreciate the changes that he was making in his life. And eventually what happened was those friends not only distanced themselves, but some of them became enemies. And he was starting to feel alone and outnumbered. So he came and shared that with me. And what I wanna share with you is that when from my own personal experience, there's nothing better than knowing Jesus as your Savior. That peace, that joy of knowing that you are right with God, that you have an eternal home with him, it's amazing. But inevitably, and what I've seen, what I saw with my friend is eventually you're going to feel like the odd man out. You're going to feel alone. You're going to feel outnumbered. And so when my friend shared that with me, I took him to a, a portion of the Bible, 2 Kings chapter 6, and I told him about the prophet Elisha. Now, he's not Elijah. He's Elisha. Elijah came first. Elijah came after him. And what was going on is that God would reveal to Elisha the plans of the king of Aram. 
The king of Aram was setting all these ambushes to try to kill, destroy the army of God, the, the Israelite nation. And so Elisha would tell the king of Israel, the king of Israel would take a detour and go around the ambush. Well, this happened enough times that the king of Aram was getting very irritated. And so he did some investigating and found out that Elisha was the culprit. He was the informant. So what happened was he found the city where Elisha was staying with the servant and he surrounded it with his massive army. Well, the next morning, Elisha's servant gets up, goes out to the, the patio there. Maybe he's drinking his morning coffee and he notices this massive army and he's terrified. So he runs in, he tells Elisha, he says, Master, we're surrounded, what do we do? And, and this is what Elisha says in 2 Kings 6, verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And so the, the, the servant looks around and goes, your math isn't adding up. <laughs> there's two of us and there's this big army. And so Elisha follows up and he says, open his eyes, Lord so that you may see that then, the, then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. At that moment, because of his fear, that servant didn't realize that he wasn't alone. And so Elisha prayed, God, open his eyes so that he can see, so that he can know that he is surrounded by this angel army. Right now, you may feel like you're outnumbered, you're alone. And what I want you to know is that God is with you. You don't have to be afraid. And my prayer for you right now is that your eyes would be open to see that. And there's another passage I want to share with you from Psalm 91. It says, If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. You're not alone. And if you declare that God is your refuge, just say that with me. Lord, you are my refuge. He is with you. He has put his angel army around you to protect you and guard you. It's not easy to be a Christ follower. It's not easy to follow in his steps and do the right thing when everyone else is doing the wrong thing. But you're not alone. When I shared that with my friend, he, he was super comforted by that truth. And something else he realized that God opened his eyes to see is that even though many of his friends that he had known for years were abandoning him, he realized that God had given him a new family, brothers and sisters in Christ, to support him and love him and encourage him. My prayer right now is that God would open your eyes to help you see that the Lord is with you, he is surrounding you with his angel army, and that he has given you a massive family of believers to support you in these dark moments. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is so easy to feel like we're alone. Uh, so often we get focused on our problems instead of the solution. And so God, open our eyes right now to see you, how big you are. Help us to see that we are surrounded by these guardian angels. And thank you for the brothers and sisters in Christ that surround us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Tom Holland the actor who plays Spider-Man in the movies recently came out on social media to reveal that he's taking a break from social media because of his mental health. And what Tom and other big time celebrities are doing is, is putting a spotlight on the reality that this age old truth that our mind and our body coexist, they're one and the same. And if one's misfiring, it affects the other one. 
The, the fact that mental health has been a huge topic recently is, is very important because anxiety and depression has been going through the roof, especially because of the pandemic. All the things like uh, isolation, lockdowns, economic insecurity. We have decision fatigue and you mix that all together with what's going on in our society right now. It's enough to cause anyone to feel hopelessness. The sad thing about feeling sad though is that a lot of people don't feel comfortable talking about their sadness. There's still this stigma around that if you deal with hopelessness, loneliness, depression, anxiety, then you must be weak-minded or even worse, maybe you lack faith. What I want you to know is that if you have any of those feelings, it does not mean that you're weak-minded. It does not mean that you're lacking in faith. What it means is this, you're a human. And that's why I wanna share with you today, King David's story. King David was the second king that ruled over Israel. He took over for King Saul. Uh, his claim to fame was he took down the great uh, giant Goliath with a slingshot. He was in these battles, multiple battles, hand to hand. Uh, he was, uh, they'd sing songs about him. Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands, right? He was a man's man. But did you also know that David was a poet? He wrote poetry. And his poems are recorded for us in the book of Psalms. And in those, sometimes he expresses joy and happiness. Sometimes he talks about his loneliness and, and anxiety and his depression. And what I appreciate about David is he gives words to the human experience. He expresses that there are highs and there are lows, and he gives us permission to talk about these things. But what I'm, I love most about David's writings about his Psalms is that he reminds us that there still is hope in the midst of our hopelessness. And an example of that is, is found for us in Psalm chapter 13. David writes, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. So David is mad, he's angry, he's sad, and you know who he's talking to? The Lord God. <laughs> he's like, where are you? Where have you been? I've been praying, I don't hear from you. You're not answering my prayers. I I'm not feeling great. My enemies are about to kill me. I'm gonna die here, God. What's going on? You ever feel that way? You ever feel low? You ever feel like God's not listening to your prayers? That God's not there, he's abandoned you? Well, guess what? There's lots of men and women of faith who have felt that same exact way. David, according to the Bible, was a man after God's own heart. He had this amazing relationship with God. And yet, what does he do? He vents to the Lord. He gets this angst off his chest. And what he does is give us permission that, that when we're going through those hard times, he's reminding us that you don't need to bottle it up. You shouldn't bottle it up because if you do, you're gonna implode or explode but God allows us to just get it off our chest. He can take it. And, and once David did that, once he got all of his complaints off his chest, he brought it before the Lord, this change happened. And you see it in the final two verses. This is what he says. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. So once David processed this, he talked about it. He validated what he was feeling. He got it off his chest. He was finally able to see, wait a second. God hasn't left me. God's always been with me. God is still my salvation. And he has been good to me. 
The reality is, is that God has still been good to you, whether you feel like it or not. And what I love about David's words here is that his transparency has encouraged me. I, I'm somebody who has dealt with bouts of anxiety and depression. And what this has given me is confidence to be able to speak to God about it, to get it off my chest, to, to go to fellow Christians and say, look, I'm, I'm struggling. Can you help me? Can you pray with me? This is what God is doing. He, he's giving us the opportunity to say, yeah, life is real. Life is hard. I have my highs. I have my lows. And so right now, you have permission, no matter what's going on in your life, take it to God, vent, get it off your chest, and then remember that God is with you. He has not abandoned you. He's right there with you. And he's using these, even these difficult times for your good and for your salvation. And how do I know that? Because God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die in darkness for you so that he could give you the light of eternal life. The Lord is with you. He is your salvation. And when you go through this process, my prayer for you is that you, at the end of the day, will be able to rejoice with David and, and, and sing and, and rejoice with your heart that God is your salvation. Let's pray. God, thank you for being so big. Thank you that we can talk to you honestly, that we don't have to bottle these things up. Thank you that, that we can be transparent with you. Thank you for this example that David gave us in Psalm 13. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us with hope and understanding that even though we may be going through dark times, that you have good for us, that you are our light in this darkness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was a teenager, I would consider myself a what-ifer. So if I had to make a decision, I would always run it through this what-if filter. What if this? What if that? And unfortunately, all that did was make me worry. I couldn't make decisions, and ultimately, it just robbed me of my joy. Unfortunately, today, even, I find it fall into this what-ifer mode. Uh, the, the experts, though, have a technical term for being a what-ifer. They call it uh, anticipatory anxiety. It's worrying about futuristic events that you have no control over, but you assume the worst. Now, if you consider yourself to be a what-ifer or you deal with anticipatory anxiety, I'm here to tell you that you're not alone. Even Jesus Christ dealt with bouts of this. And we have that recorded for us in three of the four biographies written about his life. And it tells us how one day he was with his disciples. They were in a garden called Gethsemane on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And when he was with them, Jesus was overwhelmed with this anticipatory anxiety because the very next day he was going to die. Now, obviously, impending death would cause anyone to be anxious. What's interesting, though, is that Jesus knew this was coming. This is something that he had declared to his disciples for the past three years, telling them that he had to die in order to save them and us from hell, to, to give us the promise and, and, and the truth of eternal life in heaven. But even still, even though Jesus knew this was coming, it overwhelmed him. It filled him with anguish. In fact, one of the, the writers, Dr. Luke, said this in Luke chapter 22. He says, Jesus' sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. His sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. He was in such anguish because of what was going to come the next day. And it wasn't just the fact that he was going to die, but it was because of what Jesus knew he was going to experience. He was going to take upon himself the sin, the shame, and the guilt of the entire world from every human being from the beginning of time to the end of time. 
just think about that for a second. I can barely handle my own guilt and shame, let alone someone else's, and you multiply that by billions upon billions. Even though what we're worried about doesn't compare to what Jesus went through, it doesn't mean that he doesn't care about what you care about or that he's concerned about what you're concerned about. He is because he's gone through every single one of those emotions, and yet he is here for you. And and he didn't allow his anticipatory anxiety to overwhelm him, to run his life, to ruin his life, but instead he was proactive about dealing with it. And this is what he did. Jesus could have, in that moment, isolated himself from his friends. He could have run away and said, I got to be on my own. But instead, he said, come with me. Come to the garden and pray. And so he asked for his his fellow believers to come with him and, and take his burdens and put them in the Lord's hands through prayer. And then Jesus went off and prayed on his own. And he went to the Father and he said, look, tomorrow I know I'm supposed to die to save the world. But if there's another way to do this, fantastic. And he asked three times for this. Now, here's here's what we learned. A, don't isolate yourself. Call together your friends and say, please pray with me. B, go pray to the Father on your own. And it's okay, Jesus did it. Say, if there's a different way, if I don't have to go down this path that's really worrying me, can you show me? Can you make a different way for me? That's okay. But when you pray that prayer, pray it with humility. Understanding that God's in control. He sees the big picture. He knows the best route. Because when Jesus prayed those those prayers, he, he finally said, your will be done. Not my will, but your will. What you want, not what I want. And what did God want? God said, I need you to go forward. I need you to die on the cross. I need you to pay for the sins of the world in this way. And that's what happened. The very next day, Jesus went to the cross. He died for you and for me. He took our shame and our guilt, and he was taken off that cross, and then he was put into that empty, lonely tomb. Now, if the story ended there, You might wonder, why in the world would I want to go through that awkward uh, exercise of going to friends and saying, would you please pray for me? I'm I'm having a difficulty. Why would you go to God and, and even ask for another way out and ask for his wisdom? Why would you humble yourself and say, your will be done? Why would you do any of that if that's where the story ended? But the story didn't end there. The very three days later, God comes back keeps his promise, raises his son back from the dead, exalts Jesus Christ, gives him a glorified body. This is why when you're going through your what-ifs, when you're dealing with anticipatory anxiety, that we get to follow in Jesus' footsteps and say, yes, I need these people to surround me. I need their support and prayers. Don't isolate yourself. Turn to your friends. Turn to the Lord and tell him what's going on in your life. Tell him what's worrying you. Ask him to change the results. But if not, Humble yourself and trust that he's got a better way because he does. And at the end, you can know that God is going to use this situation right now that you're concerned about for his glory and for your good. Let's pray. Father, so often uh, I find myself worrying. We find ourselves worrying. And all it does is, is create angst in our souls. But Lord, you you showed us the route. Help us to be surrounded by good Christian friends. Help us to talk with them about what's going on in our lives. Lord, we're talking to you right now. If there's a different way for, for us to go, please open that up. But if not, we submit to you. Not what we will, but what you will. What you want for our lives, Lord. And we trust that you're going to use this for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Someone once told me that the reason they worry is because they feel like that way they're being proactive. The problem with worrying though is, is that it never solves problems. In my own experience, when I worry about things, all it does is give me stomach aches, headaches, I can't sleep at night, it totally messes with my diet, I'm super irritable. Worrying isn't being proactive, it's like being radioactive, it is toxic. But here's the problem. A lot of people don't realize they have another option. They only assume that they can only worry. And that's why I want to share with you about the Apostle Paul. He was an ancient church father who had lots to worry about. Literally, the guy was under attack all the time. He got beat up multiple times, always under death threats. He would be in prison because he shared that he loved Jesus and that Jesus loves the world. And so one time while he's in prison, he writes this letter to a group of Christians in Philippi. We call this letter the Philippians. And in Philippians, you would assume that he'd write about all the things he's worried about, the things that he's making him sad, that all these bad problems. But in fact, this is one of the most encouraging letters that Paul has written. And in it, he gives us the alternative to worrying. And this is what he writes in Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So what Paul is saying is that when you're dealing with worry and anxiety, you have an alternative. You don't have to play all these scenarios out in your mind, but you get to take them to God in prayer. You get to say, God, my problems are in your hands. You get to deal with them. And you get to do it with a thanks, thankful heart, with thanksgiving, which sounds weird, right? But why can we do this with thanksgiving is because we know that God takes bad situations and redeems them. He turns them into good situations. And here's the added bonus. When you pray, you don't get stomach aches, you don't get headaches, you don't get sleepless nights, you don't have issues with your diet. Instead, he says this in verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you consciously say, I'm not going to worry about this, I'm going to give this to God, he replaces all those negative feelings with peace, a peace that goes beyond your understanding. It just wraps you in God's love and lets you know that everything's going to be all right. And then Paul gives us one more tip on what we can do instead of worrying. He says this in verse 8. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. So now he says, engage your mind. Your mind is a very powerful thing. A lot of times we think that because we have an emotion, we're scared, we're angry, we're anxious, that we have to give in to those feelings. If I'm feeling this way, then I have to act upon that. It's not true. In fact, God has given you your mind so that you can control all of those emotions. Your mind can help you control your emotions. And now you get to think about not the negative, not about the what-if scenarios, not allowing yourself to go down that anticipatory anxiety, but now you get to think about what is pure, lovely, noble, praiseworthy. And what's more true, noble, praiseworthy than Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul didn't just preach this, he lived this. If you read through his letters written for us in the New Testament, you find him constantly talking about Jesus. Jesus Christ this, Christ Jesus that. He's always contemplating what Jesus did for him, that he brought him into a relationship with our eternal God. He forgave him his sins. He took away his shame and his guilt. He thinks about Jesus' resurrection and the power that has for us right now to embolden us to speak uh, words of truth to those we love, to, to deal with realities of life and say, God's got this, I'm gonna get through this. What you think about, what you pray about matters. And so the next time you feel 
anxious, the next time you think, I need to worry about this, don't do it. Don't worry. Instead, pray. Pray to God. Let him know that he's in control. Submit yourself to him and he will give you his peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I like to worry. And it's very easy for all of us. We think that we're being proactive by doing that, but really we're just hurting ourselves. And so God, from here on out, help us in those moments of anxiety and worry to give it all to you in prayer. Help us to take that moment. Sometimes it takes a second. All we need to say is help or, or um, I'm here, God, <laughs> save me. Whatever it is, Lord, we trust that you're going to replace that worry with your peace. And we are so grateful for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.